0: Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24/7 Sports Network, and I am joined by a little worse for wear, Tracy Pearson, this Sunday morning. Why are you saying that, Dave? Uh, what I I don't know. Are you trying to expose me to our our listeners? Is that you, wow? Look, the first okay. step, Tracy, is, is admitting you have a problem,
1: Dave. It's not like you haven't showed up at I mean, let's be straight. You ha- it's not like you haven't showed up
0: at one of these broke ass completely drunk. I mean, don't you do most of them drunk? I've recorded at least two semi-drunk um, that I can remember. So now, I'm the ones that I can't remember over. would be obviously more. I'm uh,
1: slightly hungover, and you call me out. And I've, I've, always, I've always covered up your drinking. Okay. I don't think and, you have. I
0: think you've you've actually had a fondness for telling the story of me arriving in the press box drunk when I was a student.
1: Oh shit, that's right. Oh, yeah. I just cussed too. Yeah, no, you're right. You know what? Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> because I have told that story because it was an am- it was amazing. You were
0: amazing. I'm <sighs> even laughing. I'm laughing thinking about it right now. The the real interesting part is that I went into the press box, but I ended up not doing any actual work because I was you know.
1: You had your head down on the desk of the pr- I didn't we we were just kind of friends a little you were working for the Daily Bruin and so we were not sitting next to each other but I looked down the desk and you had your head down on the desk yeah just down, like out. And everyone was like looking at you going, well,
0: and going. And of the, I said, I don't know that guy. It was one I of the end him. of year games um, where we had like some of the younger riders that we were training for the next year also coming. Oh, so you remember something. Well, I remember this because at the very end of the game, when I was like, you know, in that gray area between still very drunk and starting to be hungover, um, it was time to walk down to the field and I was like. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm going to make it. So, and then it was like whatever like random sophomore who was going to cover football the next year. I'm like, "So, this is going to be your first time doing it and you've got to do <laughs> like uh half the interviews." So, Godspeed. Didn't you go and pass out like in your brother's car or something? Well, that was before the game. Before. I woke up I woke up 7 minutes before the game um in the back of my car um and just hot and sweaty, too. Like just kind of generally wet. Um So, so wait,
1: when we're talking about me, how do you magically turn this around and talk about you? Huh?
0: I don't know. I really don't know. I think it's a personal <laughs> failing. Really? Um, I think it's a personal talent that you can do that. <laughs> I think <mean>, it's amazing. <laughs> but the story itself is self-effacing, so it balances out. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and you're
1: taking the spotlight off the fact that I probably drank a little bit excessively, and that's not a good thing to publicize, Dave.
0: Yeah, well, you know, whatever. Life is what it is. We try to get our jollies however we can.
1: But, you know what I want to do, though? This neighbor of mine, I probably shouldn't... Well, you know, I'm just going to... His name's Joe. We've gone to this... I've gone to this Christmas party for five years. I've <laughs> talked to him. Great. He's a nice guy. He's like, uh, for the first four years, he's the only guy I I talked to at this party. My wife is going around socializing with everyone and she leaves me there. You know, I'm like, I'm like the, you know, in Animal House, the the nerds, you know, who get put into the, (laughs) when they're, when they're rushing at the beginning and they're put into the the room all by themselves. That's me at this party. But this guy, his name's Joe. Nice guy. Turns to me last night, and maybe I'm spacing. Says starts asking me about UCLA and really in depth in what I wrote, and I said, "Wow, Joe, how do you know?" He goes, "Oh, I'm a subscriber." <laughs> has never I don't Joe has never told me this before. It was it came out. Of, it it was ama- Joe made my night because well he brings a good booze for one thing, <laughs> but um, but yeah, he's a subscriber. Yeah, how about Joe. Say hi to Joe, everyone. Hi, Joe. Joe's a great guy. Yeah. Hello, Joe. And then, you know, there's this place in uh, Agoura Hills called Wade's Wines. I'm going to take you when you come here. They've got this huge alcohol store. You can find any type of alcohol you want in the world in the store. And it's in this little kind of industrial commercial area. It's very hard to find. And then they've got... A beer bar which has like a hundred taps like i went th- this sounds like i drank a lot i drink a lot in my life but i don't people i seriously don't friday night we went i mean they had plenty of the elder on tap right so it's a pretty reputable place and in the very back of it they built this new whiskey bar and it's just absolutely cool But they're a little snobby. Like you walk in, I drink bourbon, but I'm not greatly knowledgeable about bourbon. And I walked in, and they have this uh, this menu that goes on for like literally 50 pages of all the different kind of alcohol you can order, and probably 15 pages of bourbon. And you know, I know maybe one third of it. And they said, "What do you want?" And I, you know, I don't know how to. But if you go, if you're around this area in Agoura, and look up Wade's Wines. Because it is it is a absolute blast. I went there Friday night, and I'm telling you this because a guy came up to me and said, "Hey, I'm a subscriber there too." So shout out to everyone in thousand in Canoe Valley. Okay, I'm done.
0: Wow, like a like a like a celebrity, Tracy Pearson. You got the paparazzos after you.
1: <laughs> They're really not so. I mean, would you 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 know you you're not going to call this a celebrity when you know not. To, but when middle aged guys who come up to you and say, Hey, dude, how How you? you know, yeah, that's not a celebrity. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not like, you know,
0: you're Kim kind Kardashian. of a big deal. And I don't, people know you.
1: Yeah, no, no, very randomly does it happen. And it's always a specific type of person, like middle aged guy. I don't know if that would be. You don't want to be a celebrity
0: among the middle-aged guy set.
1: I like how I like I like what I what it is. I like it that it's just you know middle-aged guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Perfect group to be famous among. Um,
1: But shout out to Joe because I Joe's going to listen to this.
0: So shout out to Joe. Shout out to everyone out there. Uh, Let's transition to something that makes us all feel a little drunk and or hungover. UCLA Athletics. <laughs> uh,
1: that was really good. That's top five.
0: Uh, okay. for um, basketball. Uh, they played a basketball game yesterday um, in and South Bay. And you wrote about it, I which wrote is about amazing. It. Then you also wrote about it a little bit. Um, so we both kind of wrote about it, which is a yeah. lot for a single uh, December basketball game. Um, yeah. But it was, so um, UCLA went to Notre Dame. Let's get to the bare facts first for people who didn't actually watch. Uh, UCLA went to Notre Dame and lost <laughs> 75-61. In a, it really felt like a blowout the whole way through, more or less. Um, honestly, like Notre Dame was missing some shots early, but otherwise this probably would have been like a 20-plus point blowout. Um, and it was interesting because I didn't come away feeling like Notre Dame was that good.
1: Yeah, I really completely agree. I, I don't. I, I think there were other teams that they played so far that I came. Well, obviously the teams they lost to, but even other teams that I thought might have been better than Notre Dame. It was their first road game. Yes, true road game where you're actually playing, <laughs> not on a neutral court, but an actual home court of your opponent. So there's that. But Dave Uriah, I mean, it did not feel like Notre Dame was necessarily that good. Um, And, you know, a lot, everyone's going to talk first about that, that matchup zone and how it didn't work and how it was a mistake by Mick Cronin to go to it. I was texting with a friend of mine during the entire game who was complaining about that matchup zone. And I think it was a legitimate idea. Um, Like I wrote, Notre Dame can't—they they're not good three-point shooting team. UCLA has a problem with dribble penetration. It made sense to try. Notre Dame
0: isn't a bad three-point shooting team. I think this is where it's getting lost in the shuffle. They're a middling three-point shooting team. But they are a they're a by design high volume three point shooting team, so when you play okay. zone against them, you're leaning into what they design their offense to do.
1: But it was some. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say it was something to try?
0: And he had a week to install it. Yeah, I'm, I, so. I'm fine with throwing a junk defense out there. I don't think that's necessarily like the worst thing in the world. It's just I think you made the point, which was good, which is when it's obviously not working, you got to adjust away from it. Yeah, maybe so.
1: I'd say yeah, and and they didn't really go away from it until what the last three minutes or something. I think. I want to right? say there
0: were a, there was a possession here, a possession there, where they kind of fell into more or less true man, uh, but it was <laughs> it was a result of like in transition or certain situations where they just didn't have time to set up the zone. But I think the intention was more or less to play that matchup zone all game,
1: right? And then also, I, you know, I wrote this and, uh, you know, I, I'm deferring to Mick Cronin when it comes to actual knowing what to do, because you and I, Dave, we're what would asses. you call us? We're dumbasses. Dumb thank you. We're, we're like, we're, we're wigs. We're white internet guys, right? Yes. That's what we are. So, um, but... I would say the only time I've seen this team play good defense really is when they're pressing and they've and they've pressed and trapped and they've created a couple of turnovers and it it really leans into what they are good at doing. I they're they're athletic but they're they're athletic in a certain way. <laughs> they're long and athletic. They're not necessarily uh, all of them aren't necessarily quick laterally, but someone like Chris Smith, I mean, probably the most athletic guy in the team. I just did asterisks above that. I did like air quotes, but no one can see it. That's um, great. Yeah, thanks. Podcasting um, a real visual medium, I think. Do you ever, do you listen to a lot of podcasts? Aren't there podcasts that like make references to things visual and you, you say like WTF? I, I can't see that right your podcast
0: absolutely. absolutely
1: yeah i don't really get that anyway so i think like prince ali staying necessarily in front of the ball in a half court man to man defense isn't his forte would you agree i agree he seems really good though at a press trap where He's aggressively chasing down the ball, trying to trap. I maybe maybe I'm just, you know, just <laughs> imagining it myself. But I think this team overall does that well. And I would say maybe, you know, you can't play that probably the entire game, but play it a majority of the game and, and see if you can create some deflections and some turnovers, get some easy baskets, which this team would really benefit from. But And then maybe settle back into a man defense, and if you do that, they're going to come across – they won't be able to set up their offense until, what, 15 seconds left on the, on, on the shot clock. I, I think it's something to maybe try. Um, what do you think, Dave?
0: Uh, I'm always a little skeptical of pressing these days unless you've got like a full system that you've installed for a long time just because guard play is so much better than it was back when the press was a more reasonable and more universal tactic. Um, Guys are just too skilled generally. Um, And so I I'm fine with that as a tactic as well. I think I'm going to feel better about this season, even if they end up like whatever, I don't even know how many total games they'd play, but like 10 and 18 or 10 and 19, something like that. If, they have committed to being, a, uh, and I don't even think they should layer in too much defensively, commit to being a half-court man team and do it. And just, if guys can't do it, well, force them to continue to try to do it. And I, I think they've got to break so many bad habits. And guys are, the the confidence of the team seems to be kind of waning in certain ways. And I don't think you reinvigorate that by letting them, Play kind of a a looser style, which is I think what would result from trying to play too much press. Um, There would just be a lot of easy buckets given up. The pace would increase. And it just, I don't know that it would necessarily result in a more disciplined team. And I think that's a big part of what they need right now. Um, I think they need to be pretty firmly committed to that half court man, which is why I didn't love the zone. Um, even to what they had intended to do, even if it had worked, I didn't love the idea of playing that matchup zone um, because I think this team still has a lot of really bad habits and the basic fundamentals of defense that aren't going to be corrected in a zone. Um, so, so you just absolutely just shot down my idea. I didn't. So here's the thing. I think that might actually end up in maybe a few more wins this year. Um, but I, looking at the way they've played now through 11 games, I'm not really thinking about this year anymore. Um, it'd be great if they sustained some real effort and got better towards the end of conference season and made themselves like a you know, a tough out in the conference tournament. Um, that'd be awesome. But I right now I, I think it's you've got to play towards what are you gonna be next year? Um, who are you what team are you gonna have? And you have to you have to now, I think, and this is a real thing for Cronin you have to look at your roster and make some really tough calls by the end of this year, I think. Um, Like, who's actually a fit for you going forward and who isn't? Who do you have to recruit over? Who do you have to tell, hey, just going forward, you're going to have a tough time playing for me? Um, And the only way to determine those things, I think, is to play really aggressive half-court man and see who can hack it and who can't.
1: That's it. I see that. I mean, overall, too, he has played man, right? Yeah. This is our first little version of a zone. And I think it just kind of fit because he had a week to install it. And even though you might argue it slightly, I think Notre Dame was a good idea to maybe play some zone, maybe not to that extent, but that made sense. But I think what he's doing is what you're saying. Yeah. He's trying to, he's trying to install man defense and, and, and see who can play it. (laughs) Um, so uh, one of the arguments I was having with this friend of mine, not arguments, discussions, and he was saying Mick Cronin needs to do the the Chip Kelly purge and get rid of all these guys and start over completely. What do you think about that? You just kind of touched on no, it. No, I, like,
0: I, I don't think it's the entire roster, but I think you're going f- to – the good the good part is I think one of the guys who's – and I, I don't want to like sit here like completely naming names, but some of the problems are already going to be solved after this year. Um, but the, <laughs> I, I, but I, I think, the,
1: but you're not going to name names,
0: I'm not going to name
1: names, but there are wow. only two graduating wow. seniors
0: on the that's, roster. That's a death touch. You got there, Dave. I'm i uh, I'm smooth. Um, wow. The rest of it. I don't. I, so I think there's a, there's, A potential nucleus, I don't think anything can be determined yet until you've actually gone through the pains of seeing who emerges, who doesn't. Um, A lot of these guys are still pretty young in terms of their development. Like, I think about Jules Bernard, who was out uh, against Notre Dame. He's had a really rough start to the year, I think, for the most part. There have been a couple of games here and there where he's been fine, and there's been a lot of the selfish play and that sort of stuff. But if we just throw our memories back just to last year, he was one of the three best players on the team by the end of the year. Like he was playing within himself, he was doing a better job of effort. Like it was it was a better Jules Bernard. That guy still is in there. They could he could emerge again in Pac-12 play, gain some real confidence, the whole thing. So maybe he's a piece of the puzzle. Jalen Hill, who's much maligned right now for not having a ton of basketball IQ. Um, was also one of those high-effort guys at the end of last year. Um, And he's had games this year where he looked like, wow, okay, Um, you know, a real rim runner um, and not necessarily super skilled, but he can pass a little bit out of the high post. Um, He can play a little bit around the basket, and, you know, you have to work with him on some other stuff. But these are guys who I think are getting kind of thrown under the bus by some of our lovely message board posters who, I mean, as recently as the end of last year, were playing pretty well. Um, So... I think there's a lot of guys on this roster who could still be part of that nucleus, but you're not going to determine that um, if in the competitive moments you switch to play in zone, I think. Um, I think they're going to have to commit to something. And I, I completely understand that Cronin, he is a guy who will mix up defenses. I mean, a big part of what he was doing at Cincinnati was actually more or less a matchup zone, um, but it was an aggressive, super man-to-man looking matchup zone. Um, so I understand he's trying to layer that stuff in, but I think right now it's all about figure out who can actually play some disciplined man defense for you. And then you can build from there.
1: Oh, okay. That's a good plan. I think I I respect your plan.
0: I think, Um, and I think he is doing that. I just think this was, this was maybe the way I would look at it was, this was a good opportunity to just throw him out there and let him sink or swim. Running the defense you've been running for eleven games or for ten games before that.
1: So you would have used the zone, but sparingly
0: against at, at, Notre at most. Yeah,
1: maybe come out with it just to kind of shock them a little, and then and then keep going back and forth. Maybe. Yeah,
0: mix it up throughout. That would work. Yeah, sure yeah um
1: and <laughs> we've only talked about defense
0: yeah well nobody can nobody can shoot on this team. Wow, it's pretty chiss it's <laughs> stunning, <laughs> but because... there's also like missed opportunities, so watch chris Smith um he's shown that he can pull up a little bit and hit that like ten footer or whatever, right on occasion yeah. um yeah. He had, like I want to say, four different opportunities where he got it into like the top of the key area, and then he just stops with no like even threat to shoot, just looking to pass, just looking to drive and dish. And I'm like, buddy, just rise and fire. Just rise and fire. Come on. Um, I-, I think there's a real crisis of confidence. So they're-, they're almost passing their way out of better shots to set up worse shots constantly.
1: But you know they're missing good looks, though. Also. They are, true, it, no doubt. Yeah, I, I think you wouldn't even be saying what you're saying if they made a decent percentage of their of the good looks they're getting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean Cody Riley and yeah. Jalen Hill missing. Did they miss every single shot from within two feet? Because it felt like they did.
1: I don't, uh, and I'm not checking stats but I don't remember them making a layup
0: I think Cody Riley had one nice drive where he made a layup um, but it was off okay. the drive like it was not a low post opportunity it was like from the high post he drove and, and scored but I think his other he made three shots one of them was definitely one of those rainbow jumpers from up top one was that layup there might have, there must have been another uh, layup but Jalen Hill was 0 for 5 um, and you okay, know all so, those are coming around the basket.
1: So let's 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 just say, um, what's our opinion of this team in that game? If he makes a decent percentage of those layups, it, 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 does it change our whole perspective on the team? Because and Dave, is he is it possible? Is he capable of making those layups? Like, let's say next well, year. Well,
0: that's a real question. Because he's had, he's had some issues finishing throughout his career now. A lot of missed layups from both those guys. He's, um, he's kind of... I
1: legitimately he, don't know. This is not a rhetorical question. I, he, is, he is a below-the-rim, uh, low-post uh, scorer. But will he... I mean, he's never going to be an above-the-rim guy will he end up being able to use his body and his shoulders to get a little bit more leverage, a little bit better angle on the, uh, on the basket where he's able to finish that a little bit better next year?
0: I mean, sure. And I, I I think that's legitimate growth. I mean, I think he will, but I don't know if a little bit better is enough. Um, he's, He really struggled with dealing with double teams, um, showed no real awareness of them, um, and just tried to score over them, which was a big, I mean, it was a part of the problem. I mean, not every single one of those layups was like a good look that you should take. Like a lot of it was, I'm going to try to force this ball over two guys and see what happens. Um, And just because you have position doesn't mean you should try to do that, especially if you are more of a four-bound player. Um, It was one of few times where I thought he probably could have taken fewer shots. Um, okay, so
1: does Mick stay with these guys? I mean, like my friend's saying, just purge them. But you're saying stick with them. I mean, they're both what redshirt sophomores, right? Yeah.
0: Well, so I'm I'm still pretty um, optimistic about Hill. Uh, because I do think he has some athleticism and some ability to be taught. Um, and I think he's gotten better over the course of his career. I don't think he's a finished project by any means. And I don't think he's great right now. But I think he kind of fits the mold of what Cronin has used as a big guy. I'm, I'm a little bit more on the fence about Riley. Um, I don't know if he's a great fit. Um, the effort on defense waxes and wanes, especially with him, um, And he is really forebound on the offensive end. I think you need somebody who's going to have a little bit more athleticism to hit the offensive glass to fit kind of Cronin's mold of a big guy. I think Sharif O'Neal has a lot of potential um, in that regard. I mean, his his tenacity on the glass yesterday was really great. And if he could just get stronger, I mean, he had the ball stripped from him, I think, two or three times. Um, But I think he has potential. But I, I guess I'm a little out on Riley. I don't know. For sure, um, He's definitely a better scorer than either of those two guys right now, but I, I don't know how much that's actually getting you when he's still forcing it up over doubles and, and, and struggling with that aspect.
1: I'm going to say that I think uh, being in Mick Cronin's program and with the coaching staff, that even though he is kind of floor-bound, I think he has potential to be in a college, a very good low post scorer in college. And he just, he needs a few more fundamental things uh, when it comes to his, his mechanics down low to make that happen. And probably even a little bit stronger, more mature. I I think he has the potential to be a good low post scorer by next year. I'm going to say that. Jalen Hill, to me... I agree with what you said. Obviously, a lot more athletic. I'm a little bit more skeptical about Jalen Hill. Um, I think Cody Cody Riley is taking high percentage shots that he just needs a little bit of an improvement of where to be with his body, where to be with his feet, and to use his width to be able to get a, a little bit better angle. I don't know about I. Is Jalen Hill's shots ever
0: really going to go down? <laughs> no, but he's, he's a much better, like, so the thing, I think they're playing two different roles right now. Um, and I think it's, you, you've got to think of them as two different things because Hill is essentially that classic, like, garbage guy. Um, he's going to get most of his points off of offensive rebounds and putbacks. Um, but I think that's, I, I, so here's what I'd say. I don't think he's like your 35-minute-a-game starter, um, I think you tried to recruit over him, but I think he can play 15-20 minutes for a good Cronin team. I don't know about Riley. I really don't. Um, I think Hill can be that energy guy off the bench who brings a ton of energy on the glass and goes and gets putbacks and does all that stuff. Um, and that's, that's where I see him being a, a piece that fits. Um, I just don't know if Riley fits. I mean... Offensively, he's not an efficient scorer. Um, and I, I get what you're saying, that he might eventually become one, but he's not right now. Um, and he actually has a lower effective field goal percentage than Hill um, because Hill is converting those putbacks at a pretty decent rate. Um, Riley's not converting those low post opportunities at a great rate. Um, and he takes way too many of those rainbow jumpers. Um, it's I think he's made like three or four of those this year. Um, and it's just... You know, I would that that one's that one's a little bit more skeptical for me. But you know what? Disagreements the spice of life, Tracy. Yeah,
1: I'm not even I'm not even, you know, necessarily saying this. I, you know, I I agree with what I'm even saying. I don't know. It's 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 very interesting to see what's going to happen with Mick. This year is kind of to me just, you know, a wash. We'll give him a year. Um, you know, Ben Halland, what was he? 14 and 18.
0: Yeah. You know, no, 10, no, no 11, 11, and 17,
1: 11 and 17. Yeah. Um, because you're installing what you want to do. And now naturally everyone would say, yeah, okay. But you're kind of critical of chip Kelly's three and nine. Um, and you, so Dave, you know what you, you handle this. You take this right now. You, you talk about what the difference is between allowing uh, Mick Cronin to establish his culture and his style of play and what Chip Kelly's
0: done. You go. I guess so. My, my, I've been anticipating this one because yes. I know we're going to get some, some, some of that. Um, the main thing I think is that we both, um, look at where, look at where Cronin has come from in terms of the the style of play and look at what he's trying to do um, with this year's team. And so you accept the lumps because you can see the plan. Um, You can see, okay, they're really going to try to commit to defense. They're going to really try to, you know, build some discipline on this roster with all this, you know, throwing guys to the bench every time they make a mistake, basically. Um, Now, is there some nuance within there? And we're certainly going to, you know, provide a little bit of criticism like, Hey, maybe we don't throw him to the bench after one mistake. Sure. But you can see the plan. You can see where it's going with, with Kelly in year one. um, And this was kind of our main criticism the whole time was, I I don't know where this is going. Like, I don't, I, I, I get what they're like thinking about offensively, but I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, It doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense to me why they would go to a, you know, pro-ish style offense, um, tight end heavy with all this, you know, with what they have on the roster, Um, especially given Kelly's past performance as a, you know, a tempo head coach at Oregon. Um, So it's just, you can, I think I can understand, like, having kind of a wash year when I totally understand where this is headed. And also there's a track record there of having built a defensive roster after also starting slow at Cincinnati. Um, It did take him a little while to get it going. Um, after a roster rebuild so um, you know I mean we're we're gonna criticize throughout I'm sure there's going to be nitpicks here and there but um, I don't know I'm I'm more or less looking at this year as I want to just see the strides they're making um, in terms of effort discipline have they found a core by the end of the year of guys that they're you know they truly trust are the are seemingly the right guys playing Thirty plus minutes at the end of the year, um, but those are the kinds of things I'm looking at this year because I, I believe in the concept. Like, a, there's been proof of concept already with with Kelly. I don't. I, there's never been a proof of concept of what he's trying to do. Um, he because failed. it's a new concept. Yeah, it's a new concept, <laughs> and he failed, that we've never seen. Yeah. he failed in the NFL. He failed in the NFL running the closest analog to this offense. Um, right. So that's where it's not even just there's the lack of proof of concept. It's also there's some proof that this general idea doesn't work um, both at the NFL level. And then also when NFL coaches try to translate their NFL schemes to college. So that's, that's why there's going to be a difference of thinking on these two coaches. Um,
1: that That's the biggest one. thing. You really, you really just hit it. The, the biggest, the number one issue, if you're a UCLA uh, sports fan right now is, When someone makes a coaching hire, you usually assume, like that, you know. Let's say that coach is good. He he's proven himself at a different program, and he's proven himself by running a certain system. Mick Cronin, I mean, you'd have to say he's been successful at Cincinnati, running a certain style and scheme. Let's say Chip Kelly came to UCLA and ran. And has tried attempted to run a scheme that is not proven in fact there's enough there's enough evidence to say it doesn't work in college so that's that's the main frustration for a UCLA fan right now if he were running the blur i we probably wouldn't be nearly as critical and I think fans wouldn't be as frustrated because it's a it's a system that has proven to work that's yeah. the big distinction and I mean on top of it. I mean, Mick Cronin, seven and four, (laughs) he still has a, he still has a winning record. Chip Kelly has never had a winning record in two years of a build. So I I mean, you know, Mick Cronin's beaten, you know, the Southern Utah's and UNLV's of the world while Chip Kelly has lost to the San Diego States of the world. Yeah. Um, So I, I think that's deserving of our criticism. We're going out very far to try to um, rationalize <laughs> an anticipated criticism of what we were going to get. Right? Just,
0: it's, but, it's so coming, so why not preempt it? Um, okay. So okay. I want to get. I wanna, I wanna one final thought on the Hill-Riley uh, conversation. Oh, okay. um, one of the big reasons I prefer Hill, and I just was looking up the numbers, which is why I didn't say it, um, he's played nine more minutes than Cody Riley, but has taken 27 more free throws. Um, and he's also hitting those at a, more, at a greater percentage. Riley generates free throws at a really low rate for a low post big guy. Um, and he also fouls a ton. Uh, Hill only 21 in nine more minutes than Riley. Riley has 33. What's his free throw percentage? Very bad. Uh, Riley's is 46%. Uh, Hill's is 68%. Yeah. Wow. So okay. there's, there's some soft stuff that doesn't necessarily get factored into the open play stuff. Um, but uh, Hill's been a—he's contributed in more ways um, than Riley. Riley's one attribute is a little bit more skill around the low post. Um, but Hill has, you know, he blocks shots, doesn't foul nearly as much, and um, generates free throws at a—he generates free, free throws at the best rate on the team by a wide margin. Uh, his free-throw rate is something like, I think like 80% of, uh, or no, uh, like 8%, well, I don't know, whatever. He generates free-throws at a really great rate, um, and Riley is down below even Chris Smith and Prince Ali. Right. So, I'm still going to
1: stay, I'm still going to maintain that I think Cody Riley can will end up a good college player, and... I think we've proven that – well, we haven't, but his play has proven that he he's not an NBA player, right? No, oh, definitely not. Yeah. So he's not going pro anytime early. There, There is no way at this – it's not like even Chris Wilkes or Jalen Hands where you can convince yourself you're a pro player. Cody Riley cannot convince himself that he's playing
0: in the NBA. Well, I, I'll go – one step further, there's not a guy on this roster who's going to play in the NBA next year. Um, but Jalen
1: Hill could convince himself that he has the height and athleticism to play in the NBA. Cody Riley has to be convinced now that if he's ever playing, if he's ever going to be a pro player, that little 15 foot jumper has to be, go down at like Thomas Welch. You know, yeah.
0: Oh right? yeah. Right. Yeah, no, he needs to start making that at like a 50% rate if he wants to continue to use it. I think right now it's only useful like deep into a game, guys are just completely playing off of him and he can't do that. Because he's actually a decent driver from the high post too. Like he's yeah. actually, he's made a few layups off that. Um, but if guys just sag off him, it, he has to be able to hit that. But you can't take it at the rate he was doing it against Notre Dame. I think it was like four or five, something like that. Yeah,
1: and you know what? It looks good. He's got a decent stroke. I, it, you're thinking when he takes that shot. You know, when he takes that shot, you're saying that should go in, and and it just doesn't. But a little,
0: little too much rainbow for me. But yeah, it's it's a good looking I like,
1: stroke. I like rainbow. When my dad taught me how to shoot a jump shot, his his theory was always go the angle of going up and over the rim is a really smart idea. You're increasing your odds. So. Make sure you get arc on the ball. I mean, we'd be shooting baskets and he'd be out there saying, Arc at me. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a fond memory of my childhood. But anyway, <laughs> I, I don't think Cody Riley's going pro anytime soon. He better, like, you know, hit the books, stay, stay academically eligible because he ain't doing the Moses Brown thing of, I'm, I'm going pro at the end of this year, so I'm not going to school. No, I mean, he needs to stay in school and I think he's going to be a good college player by the time he is a red shirt senior. For sure. Um, I'm worried about Jalen Hill that Jalen Hill at one point will think I'm, uh, you know, I'm an NBA player and I'm, I'm going pro. He could I think he could make that bad decision.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if, if history is our guide, he a hundred percent could. Um, and that's why I think he's got to be, you know, I, I think if you, if you're thinking he's got to be a piece of the roster next year, you've got to massage that ego throughout the year and make sure he feels like a part of the team. If you think he can be part of it next year, looking at what yeah. he's done this year, I think he has a better chance, um, than some of these guys. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, look, AO and Prince Ali are both going to be gone. Um so that'll be done. And then it's just a question. I think really a guy I'm I'm curious about at this point is Chris Smith. Um he played a ton of minutes yesterday. And I yeah. I didn't necessarily see why he was playing so many minutes. Um but he played a ton of minutes yesterday. So they're still really trying to Make that happen. Um, see if he he's, can get to that level. But
1: he is a shiny object. That you, <laughs> it is. It is tough to know what to do with him. Um, he looks. Like, well, we're talking NBA. He looks like an NBA player. I oh, mean, for sure. He's six, six, eight, six, nine. Athletic. He'll put the ball on the floor a couple of times and just he looks like an NBA player sometimes playing against college players. But he's. There's so many things about his game he, he doesn't have a great natural feel for it he 's not like that alpha guy who's just he needs a little bit of chris Wilkes right where yeah. he's just going to be too overconfident and and get through not making baskets and keep playing through it to where the to get to the point where he is has the confidence to always score because you're you're right when he goes and takes a shot it's so tentative. It's almost like you can see him thinking, I'm not making this shot
0: yeah. when he's
1: taking it. But he has to because it's wide open. And the offense is made for him to take that shot. So, yeah. Man, I, I, when it comes to Mick and his staff, you, you just have – I personally feel for them. <laughs> because this is just – this is kind of a nightmare of a roster that he has. Because it's not just bad – if it were bad, you'd know what to do with it. There's some talent on this team, but it's like Chris Smith. What do you do with that talent? It's Cody Riley he has some talent. He has issues. Jalen Hill. They all, what do you do? And they have such bad habits that they've never really been coached in how to play good basketball. Uh, it's Mick Cronin, if he had hair, I'm sure w- would be pulling it out. <laughs> the, it, I mean, the entire staff. The entire staff had hair before
0: the season. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I mean, and that's and I mean, we can get into this in per- future podcasts. But what would be kind of the lineup we would go with going forward if the idea is to build to the future? I think it still includes Smith because I think a big part of them being good next year is somehow Smith being a big part of it. Um, See, that's
1: funny because I I personally think. We should make a bet because I feel a bet coming on. I think by the time they leave UCLA, Cody Riley will be overall a more effective college player than Chris Smith will. Um, That was a good sound. Do that again. Do that again. That sounds really good on the well, podcast.
0: I, I will say right now – so it depends on what we're using to measure because I'll say right now by like a variety of different statistical measures, it's not close. Chris Smith is far better. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: I'll take that. Okay. And you know what? We're not going to use stats. It's just going to be our judgment because I, I trust you to make a good judgment – just by
0: watching him and as long as we agree that right and now stand. and even including yesterday, Smith is better.
1: Smith is Smith is better. I
0: completely agree. Okay. He's a more as effective long as we college agree with that. player. Yeah, no, I think um, it's going to be. I think, and this is where you know, I'm betting upside. You're not. You're betting like whatever production. I'm betting. You know what? That you, you the know what I'm betting? guy is
1: more I, upside. I'm betting that and this is, this is not like me, I'm betting that Chris Smith just can never get over that hump and become a player. I, I just I don't see it from him. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, he only has one more year. <laughs> I got you on that, Dave. Uh,
0: I'm sure something, I mean, something was famously said about Dijon Thompson heading into his final year, too. Huh, how about that that's
1: that's that's true i like that okay so we have a good bet i like it and everyone i think that you know that obvious choice is to take chris smith
0: oh, easily now, now i'm doing the obvious thing
1: you're doing the uh, <laughs> there's that sound again um you're doing the obvious thing uh, and i know you hate being obvious you want to always be counterculture do, just do you want to take cody riley then do no, you no huh? not under any circumstances okay. Okay, all right. Um, let's talk. Right now, it is December. Mm-hmm. That UCLA football team. If everyone hasn't noticed, they might have noticed that they're not playing in a bowl game. Yeah, weird, huh? If they were playing in a bowl game, everyone might not have noticed anyway. But everyone knows. Let's just let's let's break that news. They're not playing in a bowl game. What is happening in UCLA football right now is recruiting. Yes. And but and is that it? thing. And that thing <laughs> and that thing called the transfer portal. Not just for UCLA, I'm talking about college football.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I do think it's happening for UCLA in recruiting. From first off, they got some commitments. They had some some momentum in recruiting after those three wins, then they lost three games Mm -hmm. in a pretty, pretty disappointing fashion. Yep. And let's just say this, Dave, and I might be shooting low, no decommitments. Hey. Huh? Huh? Hey. Pretty good. Oompa. Because I was anticipating I was going to have to write some, you know, some stories. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, Miles Jackson you know, committed to UCLA in the summer. Decommitted when they looked pretty bad. And he was getting recruited by Virginia Tech and various local schools. Um, what state does he live in?
0: Uh, got to be one of those southern states, right? Yeah. Mississippi.
1: How close is he
0: to your... House? I don't know. It's got to be eight, nine hours. If if you went
1: outside right now, could you see the lights of his high school stadium? Probably. Yeah, but I've got great. Um, <laughs> he didn't. De- so then he recommitted, came out here. UCLA is rolling. looked pretty good. One three in a row. Looked like and then they looked bad. He is not decommitted. Hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying I'm trying to find all the positives in UCLA recruiting. It's really. Beautiful. Plus, hey, you're being awfully negative, Dave, because they can finish this off with like because I'm going to write this story like a four star finish here. They legitimately could. Um all those crystal balls went in for JJ Hester, Javian Hester, JJ Hester. Um I like him a lot. did you Dave? Did you watch his huddle tape of his Yeah, high- oh, he
0: looked good.
1: How about how about it Hester as a as a safety? That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Um they're not going to get, and they're out for Miles Slusher, and I'm really happy because I just I didn't want to say Slusher for four to five years. That's rough, Slush. yeah. Because you first want to say Slusher, and that doesn't make sense. You have to keep reminding yourself he's like a slushy. So I, I don't want to be have to do that. But Damian Sellers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right, Dave. I'm yeah. I'm right there with you, buddy. Is that a guy that you think could come in and he could play immediately? And he could play immediately. Um, you know, Jack Yerry, they have a chance to pull him uh, hey, out. Who's your yeah.
0: favorite def, uh, offensive or defensive line commitment in this class?
1: Dave, why would you bring that up? Why are you trying to dwell on the negative? <laughs> That story you wrote earlier in the week about where's the beef. I just thought that was <laughs> That was inappropriate, Dave. After you published it, I almost like I took it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy. Did I did I do a good job in that story trying to explain what their mindset and what they think compared to what maybe I think and everyone else
0: watching? You I know. guess. I mean, yeah, it's it's a great encapsulation. No no, 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 you did a good what? job, which left me feeling very concerned. <laughs> um, yeah. So any concerns about 10 of their 20 commitments being from out-of-state? Absol- well, yeah, there's absolute
1: concern, because we've been down this road so many times when an out-of-state player... Doesn't immediately win a starting spot. What's he do? He thinks about going home. Um, yep. So you always have to factor in that when you're when you're considering depth over the course of three or four years, if that depth is based on a lot of out of state players, yeah, there's an element there that they ain't gonna be there. Yeah. Uh, so that that you know, Dave, that's an issue that <laughs> I even brought. Up much but thanks thanks for adding that element to it
0: just wanted to throw it out there and it's not just 10 out of state because whatever you get a bunch of guys from arizona nevada who cares um six of them are way out of the region too just you know including the quarterback but whatever yeah yeah
1: yeah it's worrisome um well let's go back to your point you know that i think might be a little bit you know off about the you know offensive line and defensive line Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, when it really comes down to it without getting uh, arguing every last or discussing every last detail, they really have a different opinion of the state of their offensive lines and defensive lines uh, for the next couple of years. Obviously offensive line, they think they're looking pretty good with depth and talent. And admittedly, we don't know about some of those guys. We don't know about Josh Carlin or Bo Taylor. We
0: haven't seen them that much. Um, I know they didn't play this year for a line that underperformed last year. That's that's what I know.
1: Baraka Beckett is now a redshirt freshman. He's been in this program for two years. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't play. He didn't play last year as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't play in a game. He
0: didn't play in a uh, again for a line that underperformed the line from the previous year. Yeah.
1: Um, so I, I'm, I would be worried about the projected talent and depth of the offensive line. And I would have looked at that having learned a lesson, not because we're geniuses, but we've watched this happen. The percentage of offensive linemen that hit, that you recruit, is, is the percentage is lower than... At other positions, because it's the, you, you know, you recruit a lot of times a two hundred and sixty pound offensive lineman, and will he be able to hold three hundred pounds? Will he be able to physically develop, get strong enough to play the position? And so it's a bigger crapshoot. So you have to over recruit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Were, were you there when Jim? It was after three years. Jim Mora learned this, and I in a I think it was actually in an interview where he said. Oh no I've learned we have to over recruit the offensive line yeah, it
0: was uh twenty fifteen um the uh San francisco bull um we were all sitting yeah. at the table yeah is
1: this is this the memory i've lost
0: no i don't I don't, I don't think you were play? there, so it would have just been watching okay. the interview, so you would have you know that's that's a tough thing to remember come on
1: and you're you're just this is what you do you you kind of subtly brag about your your talents. That's that's a subtle brag what you just did, right? I, I don't know about that. <laughs> you do have a great memory. You have a great memory. You're not like Brandon.
0: Brandon's cool. got a um uh, He's kind of an encyclopedia. Yeah, um, no, um, that's that Brandon's a little he he's got it he's got it all up there. Everything everything <laughs> that has ever happened to Brandon is up there in his brain. Right
1: now I can say Brandon, what was UCLA's football, uh, season in 1978, like just boom.
0: Who was the Have you been watching the Watchmen? I haven't. Oh God. I uh, was going to make such a killer reference, reference but no, he, he's, he's, he's Dr. Manhattan. Everything he's living, is is, he? he's living everything. He's living the past. He's living the future. He's living it all at the present.
1: Okay. So that just pushed me over. I'm going to watch it today. You got to
0: watch it. It's so good.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think, given the fact that they're seven and seventeen in two years, um, and they recruited, I thought I think we can generally accept this that they that <laughs> that last year that recruiting cycle was pretty poorly done. Would you say? <laughs> Am I, am I just throwing up a big softball for you to hit?
0: Yeah, Tracy. I think it was pretty poorly done. I think it you know, <laughs> okay, thank you. may have single-handedly crippled Chip Kelly's entire tenure at UCLA. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know what? That's a, that's a, um, a couple of my friends say when it all comes down to it, if Chip Kelly isn't successful, it's going to be the 2019 recruiting class.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got to nail that first class, that first real class you get. You've got to nail it.
1: I have really pretty smart friends. I should bring them on the site, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should. Yeah. Um, Given all that as a basis, I, I think the 2020 class is pretty decent. Even given the fact, like we were talking about, they don't seem to understand offensive line. And let's just touch on interior defensive line. No matter how many guys you have, and even if you're getting away from using those nose tackles, you got to recruit one guy. You, you have to bring in an interior defensive lineman every year. They just – they either don't develop, they get injured, they transfer. You just, you just need those guys. It's, it's vital to have those guys. And when they brought in Liku, I thought, okay, that's great. You know, they bring in a defensive lineman – but remember, they liked him as an offensive lineman originally. And now he's moved to the offensive line. So that will make, if they don't bring in an interior uh, defensive lineman in this class, that's two years in a row that intentionally of not bringing, I mean, they're, UCLA at times has not brought in interior defensive linemen two years in a row, but it wasn't, it wasn't intended. It was because they just missed on everyone. This is out of intention that they're doing this. Yeah. You have yeah. nothing
0: to say? You have- no, it's not good. Um, I, so defensive line probably improved from last year to this year. It was a very low bar. Um, they were very bad in 2018. They were better in 2019, but it was still very middling. Um, so, yeah, I, it's not even just that you need to bring one in every year. They need to bring one in. They need to bring in a couple of guys who are going to impact um, because it's not – just that these guys need to develop they need to get some uh, i would point actually a, even more at the outside because it's not that they don't have they've got bodies at end um they need pass rush bodies they need guys who can pass rush and nickel um and that's not just at outside linebacker they need those at end too um and they just need to recruit those kind of longish bodies who can do that and they're bringing in a variety of you know guys who are going to be in that swing role, but I don't know if any of them fit that mold. Um, okay,
1: but let's just say this: they're attempting to do that. They've recognized the need, and maybe you're no, no, saying I'm, I'm that they're bringing are... in guys, but maybe that they're just not evaluating that they're getting guys who can yeah, yeah, actually no, do it well.
0: And that's more what I'm saying is: I'm I, I, you're you're setting the bar at like just like literally the count, which I think is a. I'm good... just saying, bring in an
1: interior defensive lineman. Yeah,
0: no, and I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe going a step beyond, which is are the guys they are even do, that they have commitments from, are they good enough? Are they good enough at this point to do what you know, UCLA actually needs them to do next year? Because this is Chip Kelly's third year that they're going into. So they need to actually start producing. It can't just be building depth for the future continuously. Um, they need to be much better next year. Um, and are, is this recruiting class, does it have enough impact guys at key spots, particularly pass rush, um, to actually make them like significantly better next year. And that's where I don't know.
1: See, that's funny because you, that's, that's, that would be like a valid, um, issue to bring up on anyone's recruiting. I'm taking it like even a step back, like, Oh, I know. They're not even recruiting an interior uh, – just if Keanu uh, Tanuvasa, the interior defensive lineman that they're recruiting from Mission Viejo, the one guy they're recruiting, he's the one guy. He could go on his LDS mission out of <laughs> high school, which means he would only come if he came to UCLA because once he goes on his mission, his uh, signed lever, national letter of intent, is null and void. So he'd have to be recruited again. So there's that, but then on top of it, he would come the year after all of their interior defensive linemen that are currently on the roster leave. I mean, the one guy they're recruiting even can't help them. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, I, I, I I'm I'm stumped on this one. I, I don't. Let's say let's just say Martin Andrus You know, he blew out his knee. Can he play next year? Yeah, I don't know. Can he play? Um, it, uh, will anyone? Will anyone of those three guys? Will could someone transfer? Yeah. Will someone else get hurt? Yeah. I, I, okay. I mean, I think literally in maybe a year they could have a defensive line that has no one who weighs over two hundred and sixty-five, two hundred and seventy pounds.
0: That'd be really cool. <laughs> that'd be um, that'd a return to, what was it, like 2005 UCLA, where it was Chase Moline playing defensive tackle at like 240 pounds. Like like Terry Donahue playing defensive tackle size. Like, that was cool.
1: Was Terry Donahue ever 240 No, no, up? he
0: was probably 205. Um, but going back to, you know, 1970s defensive tackle size. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's obviously it's better than it looked a month ago, so there is that. Um, so, yeah, and they're recruiting certain positions. It seems pretty well. Um, linebacker, they've gotten a lot of bodies. I don't know what to make about any of them. I think Damian Sellers will obviously change the complexion of that quite a bit um, in terms of thinking. There's an instant impact guy there, um, but this would have been this would have been a fine class last year, I think. Like, as a building block class, um, they, they just couldn't whiff on last year's class the way they did. Um, yeah. Because I now agree. I have to, when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the roster as it is and who can actually make it so that they are a 9-3 and three team next year. And this is not the class that's going to do that. Um, so they've got to hope for development. Um, and the development thus far for me has been inconsistent um, and poor in some real areas, uh, like the secondary. Now, when you're thinking about the secondary, I'm thinking, okay, there's gotta be a talent upgrade there too, because there hasn't been development to anywhere near the extent we've thought there should be at this point. Um, so who's going to make an impact there? Uh, DJ Warnell, um, you know, John Humphrey, but are those guys going to be instant impact guys? Um,
1: I don't think they are. I think they're I think they're guys I I, I like both of those um gets, but I, I think they're developed they're gonna have to be developed. They're big, yeah. tall, long athletic, but they've got a ways to go. Um I actually think JJ Hester might be able to immediately play at safety given that tape. Yeah. Um but that would be so UCLA that they that and JJ Hester could very well be a very good wide receiver in college and and probably will be because I think that's where UCLA will play (laughs) him you know you know who's a kind of important recruit I think is damn in his name Ola Sun Kami Aganloa Ola Sun Kami Aganloa and why I think he's important now is because he is 6'5", 6'6", and 265 pounds as a high school senior. That is a guy who's going to end up 285-plus and at least be able to play within the B gap on your defensive line. It looks like uh, Akeem Mesidor, who, who would have been another guy like that, is, is not going to UCLA. So Aganloa becomes big because the other defensive ends they're recruiting are defensive ends who are they're not going to ever be a three technique. Actually, I take that back. Tulee, uh, Tuli, God, these names. Tule, Tui Pelotu. Let's,
0: let's let's blame our tongues. He
1: weighed
0: 267
1: pounds last spring, so I think he ends up with playing as a down lineman. But those, I would say right now, you might not realize it because he's kind of, he's just a three star guy. But I think Agon is going to end up an important guy in this class because he will be the only interior defensive line, maybe, that they get.
0: Yeah. Oi. Oi. Yeah. I got nothing else. You got um, anything else? Yeah. No,
1: I want to ask you because this might be the last. Broadcast we do before the rise of Skywalker.
0: Mm, okay.
1: And I'm curious first what you're expecting uh, a quality of the movie to uh, rise of Skywalker. What does that mean? Is Skywalker like a new breed of Jedi? The Jedis are dead. It's now called Skywalker. Dave, what, what
0: is this? <clears throat> I right, want to so know. I'll, I'll start at the, The second question, and work my way back. Um, It's a very stupid name um, because it also, just naming convention alone, it is um, diminishing the point of the second movie, uh, which was all about how it was more or less the democratization of the whole Jedi crap um, by saying that Rey was not, she's nobody, she's just a random you know, peasant. Um, And then having that scene at the end with the kid with the broom, Um, the broom boy. Yeah. It basically like by, by now again, centering it on this one stupid family, you're basically saying the story that was just told in the previous movie is irrelevant. Um, That's a big
1: issue. That's being discussed
0: extensively.
1: Like because JJ Abrams did not, direct the second one.
0: No, no. He had nothing to do with the second one for the most part. Um, right. it was what was his name? Ryan Johnson. Johnson the guy who just did Nine Ryan Johnson. Out. um and so I, I the the title is stupid and then everything I've read or seen about the coming movie makes me very skeptical. Um, why?
1: Because you think they're going back to that whole thing that yeah, it's all about yeah, yeah they're gonna make
0: your royalty and, as opposed
1: to broom boy that anyone can be a Jedi.
0: Yeah, and they're just going to do nostalgia porn again by bringing back Emperor Palpatine for some god knows what reason. Yeah, least.
1: because of that because of that laugh the <laughs> yeah. in the in the trailer, they're bringing him back.
0: Yeah. So that's not good. Um there was a death star in the and, trailer. And he
1: could possess people, right? He could possess people? I don't know. Wasn't he did he possess someone? And the death star, what is that?
0: I don't know. I uh, but it's all it's all nostalgia porn. It's just what JJ Abrams does. Um, he's a great. You visual... don't like JJ? No, no, no. He, he, yeah, he's bad. But he does a great job at like visual aesthetic, making things look pretty cool. He loves that lens flare. Um, does a bunch of cool things visually. But he is a really, really derivative storyteller. Um, and so, I mean, honestly, the best Star Wars movie he's made, and I think this will even include next week, is that Star Trek reboot in two thousand nine. That was a great Star Wars movie. Um, yeah. But this, no, I think these are going to be, I think it's going to be bad.
1: You do. You really think so. So we're going to end this entire thing that is so much a part of our culture and means a lot to you and means a lot. And it's going to end on a a bad note.
0: Yeah, but I've been expecting it to be bad for a while. Um, And it won't. It makes me really sad. Yeah. It makes me
1: sad, Dave.
0: Well, it's just maybe this is a little bit of a throat clearing before they can actually start telling, you know, some new stories. Um Mandalorian's fine uh on Disney Plus. It's fine. It's not great. It's fine. Yeah. Um, it's
1: fine. There I mean it's uneven. There's some there've been a couple of good episodes and then some just
0: very pedestrian. Yeah. Episodes. Yeah, it's it's just it's whatever. Um but maybe it's they can It's John
1: Favreau just Indulging his little Star Wars fantasy.
0: Yeah, much, which is right? fine. But they should give yeah. a lot of people room to do that. Just go yeah. indulge your little fantasy. Do some different genre work within Star Wars. That's fine. Um, but hopefully this will allow everyone to just move on from that original trilogy and actually tell some new stories. Because there's there's some, you know, there's a lot of room. It's a big universe. Do some stuff. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. No, I expect it to be bad. Oh, that's
1: that really... Yeah, I mean, my family's a big Star Wars family. My son is obsessed with it, um, and my son's has a friend that he grew up with out here in West Village who has a connection. And I, you know, I don't even know if I should. Well, doesn't matter. Um, he's he's going to the premiere. He's walking down the red carpet. Actually, he got that little connection with. And he's bringing, as for her birthday, he's bringing his sister. So they're uh-huh. both going to the premiere. I know. And they are, my, my daughter's been watching, re-watching the entire canon of Star Wars movies just to know every last thing right now. And my son, I've told you, he is, he is close to as much of an aficionado as you are of knowing you can ask him anything. What happened in this? And he'll tell you. So just, you know, you want them to, you want it to end on a good note. And, you know, I I grew up, the first movie came out in 1977. I was 17 years old when it came out. And I remember what it was as such a cultural, you know, thing that happened. Um, and then those other prequels came out and kind of ruined the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But so, wow. Dave. So, but you, you have to say, just go in with an open mind, maybe JJ J. Abrams. Uh, you know, the one thing I do want to talk to you about that democratization. Yeah. Did, did you like that? Did you like Broomboy? Did you like that? They were going to say just anyone could be a, uh, a Jedi. It wasn't necessarily like
0: yeah. You oh, hell yeah. No, that was a great, I, I thought I, I really liked the second movie. A lot of people hated it, but I, I really, really liked it. Um, they did something different. They told a new story and it was, um, you know, it was a, it was an actual take on the whole thing rather than just, Hey, here's some stuff you remember from when you were a kid 30 years ago. Watch it, enjoy it, consume. Um, it was, you know, something different, something new. Um, One thing that just occurred to me is, uh, the original Star Wars trilogy was, they were kids movies, you know, they were like, um, not like little kids movies, but they were like young teen movies, you know, it was like the Buck Rogers type deal, you know, the whole deal. Um, the prequels for whatever you thought of them, they were also kids movies, like the Phantom Menace, my little cousin watched that on repeat constantly. And I hate those movies. They're awful. Um, but they were again designed for little kids. These Abrams movies are designed for fifty year olds who grew up on the original trilogy um, like the the force awakens like, mean, like yeah no, but that's yeah. but that's who they're designed for um, and I yeah. think that's a complete you know weird thing that you're doing when you just when we've attuned so much of our pop culture to like just Full nostalgia for things that happened in the late 70s through the early 90s. It's just, it makes everything seem so derivative and crappy. And then when you're literally making your new thing just a reencapsulation of what was done in pop culture then, it's just it's it's a similar problem with like Stranger Things, right? Which is fine. Like it's fine. It's better than what this Abrams crap has been, but it's it's still you're making a nostalgia piece about things people weren't even doing then, pe- things people were watching then. It's a nostalgia piece about, like, Goonies and Stephen oh, no, King it's, novels. It's, it's, Steven, just,
1: it's Steven Spielberg.
0: Well, and Steven Spielberg, yeah, but it's all this stuff mixed in together. Like, it's just all this crap yeah. that just makes something new. Like, I don't care if it's yeah. bad, just make something new. Um, uh, stranger Things
1: to me... Just feels like I'm watching Steven Spielberg. Just not only the storylines and uh, the kid, the the camaraderie of that, and uh, but just the 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 camera angles, the the whole color scheme, and the whole thing, the music. It, it's just it's Steven Spielberg to me.
0: Well, it's it's yeah, it's definitely that. Um, the the like font choices and everything, and a lot of the storyline. It's a lot of Stephen King. Like it's just. Yeah. It's just eighties. It's eighties arcs of a lot of this different stuff. Um, so let me
1: say one thing. In all of this, the one movie that I thought really stepped out of that and and was its was its own self was Rogue One. Rogue One was a good. I thought it was a good yeah, movie.
0: No, it's been it's this for me. It's the second best of the new ones that have come out. Um, I like Last Jedi a lot. Um, I think that's probably my preference. But Rogue One was really, really good. Um, I
1: think Rogue One was... I, I personally think it was better. It, it told its own story. It There were no conventions it had to live up to. It... I mean, if you haven't seen Rogue One, here's a spoiler. Everyone dies. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, in what Star Wars movie do they literally go Hamlet on everyone?
0: You know? Yeah, it, and it's it, it got was... the, best, the best scene of Darth Vader in any movie. Um, yeah. Is him just like just murdering everyone in that yeah. little capsule at the end.
1: Yeah. And it was the best thing. What's, what's the actress? What's her name?
0: Going to have to help me out there.
1: Damn. Uh, you know, the main, the, the, the main star. Oh, She was fantastic. That's, and she's been, I think nominated for Academy. Award. That's the best thing she's ever done. She was amazing in that movie. Yeah. So yeah,
0: yeah she was really good. It was, uh, yeah, yeah it was good. Um, so, I hope they do more new stories, less of the old... Uh, Felicity Jones. Felicity okay, Jones. sorry. Um, but less of yeah. the old retellings of things. And I have an unfortunate inkling that this is going to be more of what was in Force Awakens, which is just pure nostalgia and retelling of the same old stories.
1: Are you going Thursday? Are you going, like, to the... No,
0: I'll probably wait till the weekend. Okay, then. You know, we did this well,
1: because everyone, as soon as we started talking about Star Wars, they could just click this off. So if anyone is still here listening to us talk about this, I we appreciate you.
0: I'm going to post it to all the Star Wars people, and then they'll just listen to the last 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, okay, that's kind of depressed me now that you don't have...
1: That you're not looking forward to this at all. I'm looking forward that- to it.
0: Look, uh, my... my um My feeling on it is if it's good, great. That's wonderful. If it's bad, well, that's fine too. Give me something to complain about for a while.
1: (laughs) Which you need. That's kind (laughs) of your fuel. It's what I do. What you do. Okay, we've been doing this a long time and there's no one left.
0: No one's left. No one's left. You're deeply hungover. Here we go. Let's be done. For Tracy Pearson, (laughs) I'm David Woods, Brewing Report Online. We'll talk to you again next time.
1: Thanks, guys. Happy holidays.